Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. Before we get to our 80s trivia, I want to tell our listeners why we've been on this hiatus for the past few weeks. Okay, tell tell, tell them. <laughs> Liz finally apologized to me for no. calling me a one-trick pony a few <laughs> weeks ago. That never happened. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I forgave her. Okay. For that defamatory smear. Uh-huh. And we're back together. We are back. <laughs> we're always back. We're always going to be back. Always. We can always figure out a way. Um, so um, in honor of Madonna's old face, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people saw her new face or oh, what she thinks is her shit. new face. How sad. Here's a question, Julie. Do you, or our listeners, tweet the answer to me. Do you think she knows she looks bad? And, and like, that's not one procedure. That's a lot of procedures. So at what point, you know, she, was she like, keep going? Right? Like, right. That's not just one. She didn't just do that in one, one sitting down, like one visit. Right to the to the the plastic surgeon. That's like a lot of things. So I wonder at what point or like what why she hasn't said like, hey, I I don't think this looks very good. I don't know. What what what, what are your thoughts? Well, look, this is the slippery slope of you know plastic surgery or really fillers. It looks like. It, I mean, it looks like someone took a you know bike tire pump and pumped up her face because that's basically what's happened. So she's unrecognizable, but that's the slippery slope. So once you start, and especially as you age and she wants to stay really skinny, well, of course, you know, fat leaves places where you don't want it to leave first and that's your face. So she has to fill up her face with collagen and whatever fillers she chooses to use. And now, uh, you know, I mean, Madonna was a very pretty woman, always looked good, and now she's a total caricature of herself. It's really sad. Cautionary tale. How how old is she? So it's like in her sixties, right? I think she's I think she is sixty four. I feel like she's ten years older than I am. So sixty than we are sixty four. So I know sixty four year old women who like have have had work. Let's just say work. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the nice way of talking about it or tweaks or whatever. Or freshen up. Right. And they look fantastic. Yeah. So I think that she's either got a very bad doctor um, or something has gone very wrong because it is possible for I don't. Here's an example. When I was home in Vegas a week ago or two weeks ago, whenever it was, um, and I I forced my mother to watch Fox News, which I don't really usually watch all day, but um, I do watch The Five and I watch Tucker and that's about it. And so Janine Pirro, right, is in her 70s. Yes. Look at Janine Pirro. Right. She looks fantastic. Amazing. She does not look like Madonna. She's older than Madonna. So my my point is, I guess it she looks Madonna looks shocking. But what's even more shocking to me is that no one or even she herself did not say This is not, this has gone sideways, right? And you can get your, look, you can get fillers dissolved and fillers are not permanent. They last like six, four to six months. Um, And so you can, they do go away. You can get rid of them unless it, maybe she got permanent bone stuff done, you know, where she actually got like bone grafts, I guess. Some people are nuts. It's possible to do that. But anyway, that's the shocking thing about Madonna more than her face is that she does not, think that she looks something's wrong <laughs> that's no me, just really I think shocking. She, she tweeted out after people made were mocking how she looked and just like that whole devil whatever uh ritualistic creepy twisted performance that went on at the Grammys and she's like oh people are afraid of my power and my something or other and mm-hmm. it's like no, no. people feel sorry for you like you're 
you know, it's just like one of those people who had everything and. Well, it's like um, Michael Jackson, right? Like somebody who had all all the resources to like actualize their insanity. Most people don't have the resources to do that. Um, But she does, I guess. So. Well, and to your point, look, just like Michael Jackson, you're going to find a doctor who's going to do whatever you you tell them to do. Right. No one's going to step in and be like, no, Madonna, this is not a good idea. You know, you're good. No, you're fired. I'll find. What about her friends? Doesn't she have a kid? She has some kids, right? Like nobody's been like, hey, you know, the way that, you know, if we were out to eat, you know, as we do sometimes and I would be like, hey, Julie, you have something in your teeth. Like I would tell you that. Right. Because I'm your friend and I, I don't want you to go have an important meeting somewhere and have like a big piece of spinach in between your front teeth or something. So, so sweet. Of course. So, um, <laughs> but you're just, right. That's what I, friends do. That's I don't what know. they do. Anyway. So you go know back what? to Madonna. Somebody, to- someone posted a picture though of Susanna Hoffs, who is the same age as Madonna, the lead singer for the Bengals. And yeah. she looks amazing. Like that's, you know, I mean, it's not easy to age especially if you're even a little bit in the public eye, but especially these people, but look, be like, you know, you could be a leader on these issues. Like, okay, you're going to age, but this is the right way. This is the wrong way. But Madonna has the money. I mean, a lot of women, you know, a facelift is, is expensive. If you want to do like that, go surgery, you know, that's going to cost you like $20,000. So, you know, a lot of people just don't have $20,000, especially in the Biden economy, where they're lucky if they can have scrambled eggs for breakfast in these days. But, you know, so your average person does can't afford the, the level of, um, you know, treatments that Madonna can. Um, and yet, Thank God. right. And yet, you know, she looks. But again, look at Nancy Pelosi, another one who's like had some unfortunate interactions with her, you know, with the Botox or the liberally applied Botox. Um, you know, I guess there's no accounting for taste. But like I said, I always go back to Janine Pirro, who my mom had pointed out when we were watching. She's like, how old is she? And I looked it up and she's like 72 or something. Unbelievable. Janine Pirro looks fantastic she doesn't look and she doesn't look fake or she you know she doesn't look like the pillow right that's what madonna looks like she looks like a pillow basically like her face is a (laughs) A basketball um yeah just really and so i i think that the only thing people are afraid of is making really bad anti-aging decisions i mean that's what madonna is like a warning really like yes for, for women as they age which is like put the brakes on honey you know. Well, in honor of her old face, we will shout out that um, this week, back in 1985, her album, I almost had to sneeze, Like a Virgin, hit number one on the Billboard chart. She knocked out Bruce Springsteen, uh, mm-hmm. born in the USA. So there's our little Madonna history. And then back in 19, here I'm scrolling through my favorite 80s. There was some good stuff uh, back in the 80s this week. Van Halen. Van Halen had a big album come out today. Who did? Van Halen. Not Van Hagar. So maybe you don't know that. But Van Halen, I saw on one of my Twitter, I follow all the 80s and 70s account on Twitter. And um, one of the, let me look it up. I think it's a Van Halen. Yeah, it's it's the Van Halen. In 19, oh, it was not 80s. This is 78. So on February 10th, 1978, Van Halen released their revolutionary self-titled debut album, sold more than 10 million copies, and of course, influenced millions of guitar players around the world. Facts. So. And that was But I like Madonna. Did you like Like a Virgin? Did you have that album? Oh my God, yeah. We, everyone had it, right? We had to buy it because there wasn't like YouTube or Spotify or Napster or LimeWire, if I want to date myself. Um, there was no, no I mean, she was, she, she was, was revolutionary. Yeah. And so to see her sort of, you know, go so talented, ex- you know, really so much more talented than the artists of today. I'm going to, I'm probably not going to get in trouble for saying this because of our target audience, but, you know, compared to someone like, okay, I'm God, this is going to probably get me more oh, no. trouble that, with oh, these no. fans than I it would be with the like Department of Justice on our other topic. But like Beyonce, 
who doesn't write her own songs and like no. 50 people write her own songs. You know, right. you you have. I think artists back in our day, musicians were so much more talented than they are today. But you want to come at me, come at me. No, I, I agree with you there. So they're going to have to come for both of us. So I yeah. agree with you. Um, and then on this week, 1987, Madonna, and this is another thing, she was probably her, Michael Jackson, you know, the hardest working people in showbiz. So she yeah. turned around two years later, it was number one with Open Your Heart, um, yeah. that album that came out. So anyway, sorry, Madonna. I thought her first album was the best of all of her stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, just Madonna, you know, right. with Borderline and Think of Me and... Yeah, Holiday, yeah. all those songs. I mean, that whole album is great. It's so rare that, again, going back, rewinding to the 80s, um, you know, we didn't get to buy a song by an artist we liked or watch, listen to it on YouTube or Spotify. You had to buy the album or, or, and I know, I'm sure Julie did this. I know I did it. You had to sit there with your tape recorder and the radio. Yes. And, and, and be really good at pressing record yes. like right yep. as the song started but like after the dj annoyingly stopped talking to get to get a recording of the song if you did not want to buy the entire album but it was really rare for like an entire album full to have songs the whole album is good and i think that madonna's first album is one of those rare um albums that every song is is really good on it Agree, agree or disagree agree yeah agree. okay yeah. she i don't did i i i guess i did see her in concert once but later um but yeah but she, pre, she's pre-pillow a, face right later but pre-pillow yes, she was a talent not an amazing voice but one of the greatest performers of all time for sure she's an icon really like uh, really an icon in fact um just because you had mentioned michael jackson for some random reason, I, I don't know why, a couple days ago I woke up and I started singing this song. And it's a song from The Wiz. Do you remember The Wiz? I do. Okay, yeah. I was singing the song Brand New Day, which had Diana Ross, Michael Jackson. That's a great, it's a great song. The good songs on that album too. And I was just watching Michael Jackson. And so again, like look, you're taking an artist like Michael Jackson and you're comparing someone who's so talented, although obviously morally questionable. Um, but so talented on so many ways, like kind of like Madonna. And then you compare them to like the garbage that we, I'm not a fan of the modern music. So. Yes. Really bad. So, so that, that, that's speaking our of garbage that we have to deal with now. <laughs> Other garbage. We'll move to the news and our government in Washington. So Liz, what was the highlight for you this week? Oh, my God. Um, I would say I was seriously obsessed with that fucking balloon. <laughs> I mean, I was so obsessed with it. Um, I wanted I wanted to shoot it down. Like, I wanted to go get – I mean, I wanted to personally go get my 12-gauge and just take it out. Um, I don't know why I was – well, first of all, it was offensive just as an American – that we would allow a foreign country to put like a spy instrument in the sky and basically traverse the entire continental United States and that our government would not put a stop to it or stop it before it even hit the United States, because it certainly didn't start in California. It came it came from the east, you know, it came from 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 China. So we didn't stop it. And then we got a bunch of stupid excuses about why. We couldn't shoot it down, which is garbage. Um, and then we finally shot it down. I guess the FBI is trying to find pieces of the wreckage. And the government has admitted oh, great. that it was. Oh, great. Yeah, that means I'll never right? find it. Okay, excellent. Like fucking Keystone cops trying <laughs> to find it. Um, and, well, the, it's amazing they could find some spare FBI agents to go do that since they're super busy, like, kicking in Mima's door for getting, like, Starbucks on Capitol Hill on January 6th. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think that was, I was really upset by the balloon. I don't know about your thoughts. And then of course we had the state of the union, which I don't know. I didn't really, I watched just a 
little bit of it. This is a rough watch. How about you? What was your highlight this week? So the balloon thing was just fascinating because what I love is how it does not matter what happens under Joe Biden's regime. The media somehow figures out a way to blame it on Donald Trump. So then they pivoted and claimed that, awesome. <laughs> that there was a balloon that um, went across the country or parts of the country under Trump. That appears to be another fabrication. Um, I have to say, because it uh, was another busy week in Washington, uh, the State of the Union, watching Joe Biden fumble his way through that speech, tell any number of lies. But my favorite moment, Liz, was watching Mitt Romney, the lowlife, ne'er-do-well, lucky spermer, two-time presidential loser, who will go down in political history as a total humiliating failure and will retire as the junior senator from Utah, confronting George Santos. <laughs> so George oh, Santos yeah. is the congressman who basically has lied about everything that he's ever done or did or is. I don't care. Right. Me I think either. it's hilarious. Don't care. Don't care. So, but Mitt Romney, instead of confronting, you know, the other, you know, 434-ish liars in Congress, at least 212 or 15 Mm. Democrats, starting with Adam Schiff, instead of confronting them for their lies, he basically, what, told George Santos, you're an embarrassment, you shouldn't be here, et cetera. George Santos looked like he had the last word, which was funny. And then um, Mitt Romney gave a little quasi press briefing after that and just expressed once again his outrage that a liar is sitting in the halls of Congress representing the American people. That's just really rich, considering there's a liar in the White House right now. And let's be honest, most of the people that are in elected office are are liars. All right. They're they all lie. But it's it is notable who is at the top of his list on that is worthy of like a confrontation. So like not Ilan Omar, right, when she made her speech about how some people did some things, you right. know, on 9-11 to describe when 3000 Americans were slaughtered. Right. When we had terrorists fly planes into the Twin Towers and Ilan Omar described that as some people did some things, if you remember right. that. Right. Um, he didn't feel the need to to confront that, you know, talk to, to confront her. Um, that's just one example of the many issues that Mitt Romney felt like he didn't need to, uh, you know, uh, make a, a let's say, do, do like a, a peacocking for the press, because that's really what it was. You know, um, he saw he knew he knows that the media is out after Santos because they they don't care about Democrat liars, but they do care about Republican liars. So they're. Media is super obsessed with George Santos and his many lies. And again, I, I don't really care. Like if he said he was Joan of Arc, I also I don't not care. Give a sh- literally do not give a shit. I but actually want to send him money. You, <laughs> Julie's like, you take my money. The more he does it, the more money you send him. The Go next George. article I see on George Santos from the New York Times, I'm going to give him more money. Um, but really, Romney knows that that's like a big media thing. So he had to like insert himself in it, you know, so he could do like a, some twerking and let everybody know. And then, of course, the their conversation went out in the media. Right. They, everyone was reporting on him saying, you don't deserve to be here. Um, yeah. So that well, was what was that funny. Was a- and this is why I enjoyed George Santos, because he did a little press interview afterwards. And he said, you know what, because Santos, he's some sort of Latinx or whatever you, what do you call them? Hispanic. I don't want to offend anyone, but he, he totally turned the tables and he's like, you know what? I um, have been attacked by people of privilege my entire life and talked down to and told I don't belong. And so I'm not surprised that Mitt Romney. So yeah. Perfect pitch, right? Hilarious. And then as Tulsi Gabbard, and I know we're going to talk, about the select committee on the weaponization of government as Tulsi Gabbard reminded everyone yesterday during her testimony, Mitt Romney called her a Russian agent. Yeah, that's right. Did he apologize to her ever for that or no? No, she tried to get him 
to back up his claim. He never did. And so Mitt Romney just, if there's any better representative of the spineless, just craven, useless, not even useless because they helped the left. It, it's Mitt Romney. No, he is a, he is the poster child for the GOP establishment. Like mm-hmm. literally no, no better person in DC than someone who is always there to do exactly what the Democrats want. Like just very, very reliable. Um, but I did remember that he he said that. And the interesting thing about Mitt Romney, though, is if you remember back in the debate he had uh, with Obama in 2012, he's the victim of the media, too. But it's like he has Stockholm syndrome or he's just like a sub and likes the dom media to dominate him and whip him and spank him like a bad boy. You remember that Candy Crowley um, yeah. like shut him up and even though he happened to be right and she like tanked him in that debate. And, and I, I remember at the time, Glenn Reynolds, who's instapundent, is a friend of mine, brilliant and insightful guy said, Romney should come out and say, I am rich. I have so much money and I'm going to spend the rest of my life and as much any millions as necessary to ruin Candy Crowley's life for that, you know, yep. because she really, she really did him dirty. And so Romney's been a victim. And instead of fighting back, he, he rolls over on his belly, which is really the way that the GOP establishment has, has worked for decades. Um, I would say the new right is not like that. And we're fighting back. And this is why the left has gone off the, off the rails. But the re- regular establishment GOP, when they're attacked, is to like immediately like get on the floor and show their belly and be like, here's my belly. I'm sorry. <laughs> And that's, it's that's so, Mitt Romney. It's so white. It's so white and and don't and, hurt my belly and don't mushy. Hurt my belly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, and you're right. They do not like <clears throat> the new right, and that's why you had Republicans and the media come out and blast uh, MTG for standing up and calling Rom or not Romney, maybe Romney, uh, Biden a liar. I mean. No, we we do not want our elected representatives to all of a sudden bring decorum, right, back to Congress. And the whole idea that somehow MTG and the other Republicans are defiling these institutions, Americans hate our institutions right now. Trust yeah. in our institutions have has never been lower. Congress has something, I think, their approval rating is in the single digits. It's cratering for every federal agency, academia, even the military, because of the people who are in charge are total, totally untrustworthy partisan hacks, i.e. Mark Milley. So, you know, this is what Americans are supposed to do. I mean, this is the infuriating thing, especially watching January 6th. We are not servants of the government. We were instructed from the very beginning that we should redress our grievances with government, that we should stand up to tyrants like that's in our blood. The idea that somehow we have to be subservient to Joe Biden or Mitt Romney or Mitch McConnell. No, it's interagency consensus, Julie. That's we need to submit ourselves to the interagency consensus, because let's be honest, these politicians are going to be gone. But these permanent bureaucracy, which keeps these politicians in line. I mean, because even those politicians are in line with like the interagency consensus. Um, that is really what's what's what the what the problem is. But you you are right. The, the, there's a, a, a group of younger and also not necessarily younger, but my, I would say Gen X, right? Like our 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 people were very um anti-authoritarian you know i know that's how things were when i was a teenager um i'm sure for you too yeah and so we're not playing nice we're not interested in following the rules that are only enforced on us so well and look this crop of leadership is it is pathetic so they don't know how to stand up to regular americans say who walk through the capitol building taking selfies 
They're hiding, literally hiding under their desks. Mitt Romney is running away. Now, these are the same people who in six, eight, ten months from now will be explaining why we're sending young American troops to Ukraine and endanger their lives. Not their But they're the ones hiding under their desks wearing a gas mask on January 6th. (laughs) It's silly. I think we talked about that right after the day. And I think you brought up, yeah, God forbid you have to talk to any of your constituents. You know, the interesting thing about that is, like, I'm thinking of someone who is respected, one of the elected officials who's respected, and one of them that I know that I, I, I know he's no longer in office, but who is respected. Like, if Louis Gohmert had just, like, walked yes. out and started talking to people, they, nobody would touch a hair on his fucking head. Right. You know? Um. So, I don't, honestly, I don't think anybody would physically do anything to any of those people, the, you know, if they had, any of those elected officials had they walked out. Even like a Romney or a Pence, I don't, well, I don't know, but Pence, maybe I shouldn't say that, but I I, I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm but not look, yet. again, Pence made his own bet, and uh, speaking of Pence, now the imaginary uh, special counsel, Jack Smith, who I refer to as George Glass, um, because no one has seen this guy, we don't even know if he's back from Europe, but he's the guy that Garland appointed special counsel to investigate Trump for January 6th and the classified documents. Uh, Jack Smith now has subpoenaed Mike Pence, even though Mike Pence has done nothing but talk about January 6th and Trump since his book was published, like whatever, four or five months ago. But Pence made his own bed that day because he played games and made it sound like he was going to do something that day. And of course, he waited until one o'clock to release his letter saying he didn't think he had the constitutional authority to do anything. So Mike, so you're right. Maybe they, they couldn't have hung Mike Pence because Mike Pence had left the building. And, but anyway, but my, but really my, my bigger point, I think overall is that had someone that was, had some amount of respect and that's not a lot, but you know, some, like, I think if Louis Gohmert had walked out there Nobody would have done anything. They would have been like taking pictures with them. And, 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 but that's because people like Gomert have always been very anti establishment. And so they do have the respect of voters who think that the system is rigged, right? And the system is rigged against them. So I don't know. That's because uh, it is. <laughs> right. Well, okay. Yes. <laughs> and that. As we know. That. Right. And that. So. We should get um, Louie on the show. We should have oh yeah, him on. Yeah, he loves to do. I'll ask. I can ask. Yeah, please um, do. I think our listeners would enjoy hearing from him. He's a hoot. I just wish he would talk faster because especially when there are all those hearings and he talks so slow. And I would always say, you know, I know you're from Texas, but you could get in twice as many questions. Like if you would just talk faster <laughs> um, because he's a judge and he's a smart, he's actually a very smart dude. I know that he like is. pretend he's yeah. like some dumb retard, but he's actually very, he's very smart. Uh, but that's a good thing. We'll put him on our p- potential guest guest uh, roster. So back to the news. So we were talking about, we had the state of the union and we had this little like Romney um, press opportunity or staged media. It's like when the Kardashians go shopping and they call the media, be like, hey, we're going to be um, walking hey. down Melrose, Melrose Avenue to, you know, if you want to take a bunch of pictures, uh, that kind of thing. So after that, um, what did you think of Sarah Sanders? Because she gave the response to uh, Sleepy Joe. I thought she did an excellent job. I really like her. I respect her. Um, I think she's tough. I thought she did a great job as press secretary. They tried to destroy her, too, and her family, if you recall, running them out of a restaurant in Virginia. Yeah. So she's uh, she's tough. I liked her. You know, she gets it that a lot of people on the right are more concerned about the cultural war than what the Dow, you know, the Dow whatever you call it. the econ- I mean, of course, people are concerned about the economy, but they're also concerned about what the left is trying to do to our kids, et cetera. So she gets it. I know she got some criticism for not mentioning Donald Trump. That, to me, wasn't really the place. But um, why? Right. It wasn't appropriate for her. I think she is like DeSantis in that she really does understand what 
animate her constituents. Right. And, you know, she's, she's, um, one of the first things she did is ban the use of the term Latinx in Arkansas, which is like, again, that shows that she gets it. And I think that she's also, uh, going to overhaul the education, like kind of what DeSantis is doing, where you're getting that smut out of, um, and sexually explicit, uh, lessons, sex ed lessons and gender, you know, sex change shit out of the education. So she is definitely one of the new right, but it was, I think it would be totally inappropriate to mention Trump. I think that, and we're going to talk about this hearing, but because it was very evident in the hearing that the left is going to make everything about Trump. That's all they have. Mm -hmm. So had Sarah Sanders mentioned Trump in any regard, it would have just been, it would have walked into their, into their trap. And honestly, it was inappropriate anyway. You know, he needed, you know, Biden needed to be responded to on the substance or lack thereof of his speech. By the way, can I just say that there have been a lot of um, wailing and lamenting and pearl clutching over um, Marjorie Taylor Greene screaming liar at Obama, I mean, at Biden. But these same people did not care that Nancy Pelosi literally ripped up Donald Trump's speech of the State of the Union, which, again, that's literally part of the congressional record. And she just like ripped it up. Those people did not think that was out of the norm. But Marjorie Taylor Greene shouting, you know, that he's a liar. That was too much. That was too much for them. Well, and then they showed a photo, which I had kind of forgotten about, is all the squad and all the women who dressed in white, remember, during Trump's first State of the Union because they thought they think they're suffragettes or whatever. He's going to take away their right to vote or something. (laughs) Right. That's going to happen. Yeah. And so they were all standing up screaming at Trump constantly during that. So, no, we're, we're done with the double standards. We're, we're, we're finished. Like after watching this for six years, we're seven years, we're done. Like now it's time to retaliate, which brings people, us to, I oh, think people on the right really do understand not, not all of them, like the boomers or whatever, but I think the new right, especially understand that these like quote norms and standards and all this other stuff is just a, just a weapon to be used against us and that it doesn't come from a place of principle. You know, there used to be honest, good faith arguments over issues or more so than now where people would literally fight, you know, have arguments about policy differences, about what, what was better, what was not working, what was working or just differences of opinion. But now it's very clear that the left has absolutely no principles at all other than political expedience and power grabbing. And this was very apparent in the hearing. So go on, Julie, let's talk about these hearings that we had. So there were two key hearings this week held by House Republicans. On Wednesday, the House Oversight Committee, you had um, these four thugs, I refer to them as tyrants in my column today, um, who were former Twitter executives trying to justify their heavy censorship suppression, not just of the Hunter Biden laptop story, the New York Post coverage of that in October of 2020, which was the really election interference, but also just shadow banning and suppressing and, you know, banning the account, personal account of Marjorie Taylor Greene, suppressing people like Lauren Boebert, Charlie Kirk, you know, a lot of um, conservative influencers. So we got to hear from these people this would be James Baker, Yoel Roth, Annika Navaroli, who I'd never heard of before, who's a radical left winger. And then and um, vagina lady, v- vagina gaddy. Yes. Um, <laughs> who was immediately fired when Elon Musk took over. Yoel Roth, the head of trust and safety, sort of took over her role. Then he resigned in November uh, of 2022. Annika Navaroli, who were, who now is a fellow for critical race and digital technology at Stanford, something probably made up just to 
justify this diversity hire. Um, she left Twitter in March of 2021. She was so outraged about January 6th and that Twitter did not deplatform Trump in September of 2020 after he said something about the Proud Boys on a debate stage, didn't even say it on Twitter, and said she had to leave in March of 2021 because she didn't want to be associated with a company who was going to be responsible for killing more people. That's what she said. Mm. These are the unhinged lunatics who Mm. ran one of the biggest social media platforms, you know, for years. And they got a little bit of their comeuppance during this hearing on on Wednesday, really berated by people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, and others, and called out for their collusion with the government, not just to suppress political opinions in the Hunter Biden laptop story, but also about COVID and uh, vaccines. Julie, do you remember maybe 10, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we used to joke about people that went to college and majored in like lesbian and gay studies or um, uh, African-American, inter, you know, these um, interdisciplinary social justice um, top like majors. And we'd say, oh, what are they going to do when they get out? You know, oh, they're going to get slapped in the face with reality when they get out. Well, it looks like they just go to Twitter. You know, I mean, there have been right. an entire there's been entire industries have been created and subsidized to to put these people to work when in reality they shouldn't have jobs at all they they don't offer any skills to society they have no skills right they what what are you offering so they're all working at twitter i did i did see little clips of the hearing what would you say was the were some of the most noteworthy things that happened or exchanges <laughs> that happened I mean, I think the entire, well, first of all, exposing who these people are. They are unemployable anywhere else except Silicon Valley or the government. I mean, if these people walked into a normal business, say someone who's not woke or just really wants to run a business well, they would be laughed out. Um, They're unimpressive on every level, their appearance, their intellect, their integrity, they have no sense of like they're they're automons because they are products of the Ivy League and they were hired because they're yes men. They're going to do Yoel Roth is going to do what Elvis Chan, the FBI special agent out of the San Francisco FBI field office, tells him to do. That's what they're going to do. Gotti, vagina but Gotti. Don't you think they also agree with it, though? I mean, oh, no, they're. They're hyper-partisan left-wingers. It's not, it's not like, like, if the FBI, well, well we, for, for example, in the story that John Solomon broke yesterday um, about how the Boston FBI refused to comply with a request from the, the main D.C. office because they felt it was out of line. Like, the people at Twitter did not think that what, they may have been slightly uncomfortable, but not really. You know, they really were concerned about people saying things on on their stupid app that they didn't agree with. So I don't know. Of I course, mean, this was after the 2020 riots. Right. They didn't try yes. to deplatform BLM or any of the related Antifa accounts they were or anyone t- money to get these people out of jail. And they didn't think that was a problem. Right. So it only applied to the right. And that's what came out again in this hearing because they are hyper partisan. I mean, Gotti came here from India. She's, you know, got a law degree, I think from Columbia or New York or university somewhere. Um, she's donated a ton of money to Democrats. She, uh, has made derogatory comments about Donald Trump on social media. They brought up a tweet from Yoel Roth who referred to Donald Trump and people in his administration as actual Nazis. Um, so just like, Anyone in the regime or the ruling class, you know, they have contempt for half the country and they use their authority accordingly. I thought there was a fascinating exchange with uh, Representative Nancy Mace, who I'm typically not a fan of, um, but she confronted Vijay Gadi, Vagina, mm-hmm. who was uh, general counsel, well, one of the general counsels, Jim Baker was there too, who Jim Baker should just be in jail, right? I mean, but he's not oh, yeah. he's hired a Twitter. Yeah. 
and confronted her and asked her if she had graduated from medical school. And of course she said no. And she said, then where do you get off um, censoring or banning content from Harvard educated doctors, Stanford educated doctors, this would be someone like Dr. Scott Atlas. Where do you get off banning the content that they're putting on Twitter? She had no explanation except blah, 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 blah. We were trying to protect individuals. And then she pointed out that they banned an account that had posted VAERS, which is the vaccine injury report, data from the CDC. And of course, then she plays dumb. Gotti's like, oh, oh, I don't remember that situation. But Nancy Mace claims that she is suffering from health effects of the vaccine and said she regrets taking it. Um, now, she's well, a little bit of drama. Be, I could see why she would be pissed off. But really, even a more fundamental question um, is why do these tech companies, obviously Twitter as well, think it's their job to protect people? I mean, period, full stop. It's not your job. When you pick up the phone to make a phone call, you don't have your phone company interrupting and being like, you know what, I don't think you should be talking about that. You know, if I am talking about, hey, I'm going to stay up all night, you know, and um, order pizza and drink a bottle of vodka, I don't have somebody interrupt my phone call and say, hey, you you can't be saying things like that. You know, you can't be, that's unhealthy. That's dangerous. You can't do that. Or if I say, hey, but I think I'm going to get my car and drive around the block without a seatbelt. Or something. It is not the job of Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or any of these out companies to protect you from what they call disinformation, but is really just a different opinion or even inconvenient facts. And that's the problem with Twitter is that all these fuckers that were lined up to testify yesterday all felt they had were on some kind of crusade to limit the kind of information and ideas that the public was exposed to. And well, that is disgusting and it's un-American. I would have had more respect for them if they would have said, we did that because the Biden regime told us to do it. We did it because we were told by the FBI to do it. We Otherwise, were yeah, we were, we were threatened by powerful government agencies. And Loki said, if we posted, for example, the Hunter Biden laptop information, that we might get a warrant that would force us to take it down. So I would have more respect if one of them would have been honest, because we know from the Twitter files and we also know from the lawsuit filed by Eric Schmidt, who is the Missouri attorney general now in the Senate, thank God, and Jeff Landry, the Louisiana AG, who is suing the Biden administration for violating the one First Amendment rights of Americans. We know from that lawsuit that there was deep collusion between the Surgeon General and Jen Psaki and other top officials in the Biden administration who were threatening these companies internally and in public that they needed to take down certain accounts. Certainly Alex Berenson comes to mind that was pushing information, even data that was contrary to the official narrative about covid so why didn't one of them just have the balls and be like, yeah, I didn't want to. I feel like we should have a free speech platform. But, you know, we kept getting calls from Jen Psaki. We kept getting calls from Ron Klain. And we kept getting calls from Fauci staff telling us well, we better deplatform people or else. Well, they didn't do that for two reasons. First of all, they want to get a job like they're going to need to get another job. So they can't like piss in the Wheaties, right, of their where they're swimming, which is in that community. So they can't they can't turn against the Biden administration. But the second reason I think and more important is that they agree with it. These are not people whose arms were twisted to do the bidding right. of the government. The, now I I I don't remember when the last time this was asked in a poll, but I don't think it was that long ago, maybe a year ago. You have a significant chunk of this country that does not think believe in the first amendment anymore. They just don't. And so these people are part of that group. They think that you shouldn't have the right to free speech. These are people that do not differentiate between ideas and violence. Remember, silence is violence or words are violence now to these people. So anything you say is, you know, received as actual violence or what we would or should be treated the same way we consider like someone 
assaulting you or mugging you or trying to kill you or a drunk driver hitting you with a car. So I think that the Twitter people are in that camp. They are perfectly fine with controlling speech and limiting people's ability to have access and exchange ideas um, that threaten the power structure of which that they of which, of course, they are a part. But we do know for a fact that a lot of doctors and hospitals were, in fact, threatened by the administration. And if you don't believe me, you just have to think about the um, incredible amount of control that the federal government has over private industry and businesses, especially healthcare, where a huge amount of government money goes into healthcare, whether it's subsidizing hospitals whether it's people that work at hospitals getting grants from the NIH and from getting Fauci's little kingdom. So there is an implicit threat where there were people that probably, you know, had to eat a shit sandwich or they were going to lose their job or their hospital was going to, I mean, doctors were going, would have been, and some did lose their privileges at their hospitals and they were kicked right. out of their practices. And we know that that happened. That's how much, power the government has over these private industries. But I do think in the case of the Silicon Valley people, they are more than happy. The Google, the Googlers, the Instagram people, right. Facebook, they're they're down with it. They are not about free speech at all. And so they were, you know, they seem more concerned based on some of the Twitter file stuff I've read. They seem more concerned about coming up with like a pseudo justification and their weird like constantly changing terms of service you know like oh this violates our policy against hacked materials well it wasn't that wasn't hacked (laughs) so but yeah that's why this this annika navaroli uh 35 year old expert apparently as she calls herself she was one of the four who testified um And she, as I said, she tried to get Trump kicked off for something he said in a debate that he was goaded into saying by Chris Wallace and Joe Biden about the Proud Boys. Um, And she said after that, told him to stand down. She wanted to stand down and stand by. Right. She she thought that that would stand down. Now, I will say it's not just scary that these companies, healthcare providers, et cetera, are crushing First Amendment rights. This is what's happening in these trials in January 6th. For example, the judge in the Proud Boys seditious conspiracy trial this week allowed the government to enter into evidence Trump's clip, the clip of Trump saying Proud Boys stand back and stand by. This was the end of September of 2020. This was before the government even claims there was a conspiracy to attack the Capitol on January 6th. But the judge allow that into evidence, just the clip, not the entire debate, not the entire leading up to that, of course, because they don't want the jurors to see that this was about, you know, questions about Biden and Democrats defending BLM and Antifa. But this is happening. It is criminalizing. It is criminalizing first A rights. It's not even just suppressing them by private industry. It is making it a crime. Um, yes, and that's and that's the goal. Like I said, I think right. I, I think in 2016 in the Senate and after the 2016 election, so 2017, Ted Cruz introduced into the Senate the text of the First Amendment and made them vote. And the Democrats all voted against it. This is a fact. Look it up. So so this is just their beliefs coming into action, right, and in, coming into practice where they now feel comfortable enough and in control enough where they can actually begin to punish people for exercising their freedom of association, freedom of speech, and and things like that. I mean that that that's what this is an example of. And it it uh, it doesn't surprise me from the crowd who again can't d- differentiate between speech and ideas and debate and actual firebombing a federal courthouse in Seattle or in Portland, right? Those are the there, same thing. There's a, the fun, same thing. there's a funny moment at the courthouse last week in D.C. Um, when one of the public defenders for one of the Proud Boys walked up to a table of reporters covering the Proud Boys trial. She's like, hey, how are my First Amendment defenders doing over oh. here? How how are you guys doing? Here's my here's my 1A people. 
mocking them because they think this is a serious trial with real evidence when it's completely about 1A, freedom of expression. I mean, they're using parlor posts that have not as evidence. They have nothing. So memes, it was kind of funny to too, see. Right? Aren't they using them. memes and stuff that people are, are sharing memes on, on Facebook? Yeah. Ch- challenge coins. I mean, that's what they brought into evidence. Challenge. What, coins. Is, th- what is that? I don't even know what that, what is that? Okay. So a challenge coin is usually associated with law enforcement. And I know this because my husband is a big law enforcement supporter. Don't ask how we got together, but anyway, um, so they produce these coins and they're really cool. And they have like this, you know, the logo of the department and whatever the motto is. And they're like, people collect them. They're really cool. Um, and this expands to other organizations. So the Proud Boys, because they kind of viewed themselves as a civilian protective force, right? They were going to Portland. They were going to D.C. to protect people who were being attacked by BLM and Antifa. And they've done this for years. But anyway, and, they did. and that was happening. People forget that there were two rallies before January 6th. That's right. One in November and one in December in D.C., where the people who had gone there to show their support for Trump were attacked and assaulted by Antifa and BLM. And that's why the Proud Boys were there. And these BLMers went to the bar where the Proud Boys hang out in D.C. in December. And one guy stabbed four Proud Boys. But yet the Proud Boys are supposed to be the violent white supremacist militia. And the BLMers are fine. So that's why they went on January 6th, just like the Oath Keepers. They were trying to protect people. They were trying to protect Roger Stone. They were trying to protect um, other Trump appointees. They viewed themselves as a backup for law enforcement. Um, So that's why the government has no evidence against them, except for challenge coins and parlor posts and telegram chats, which also were infiltrated or perhaps created by numerous FBI informants, just like we saw in the Whitmer fednapping. So at any rate, the whole thing, it was funny to see this public defender, and she is hilarious, Carmen Hernandez, um, mock these reporters for not exposing this trial as a farce, as an attack on on the First Amendment. Yeah, I mean, um, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, where none of this is based on principle, and none of this is based on the things that they say it is, right? Like, we have to protect the capital and they tried to overthrow the government and we needed a peaceful transition of power. None of that, none of this is about that. It's simply an, a power move. That is it. Because you hear like moving over to this weaponization of federal government hearing that happened yesterday, you hear a lot of talk about from the Democrats who are saying, well, you know, this is just inflammatory and you're doing this to, you know, you're putting FBI agents in danger by telling the public that the FBI is out to get them. But did any of these people give a shit when the police were being trashed in the media 24 seven? And then you had a bunch of monsters burn down a bunch of cities, attack police officers. They didn't care. Nobody said a peep about that. So it's not about the principle. There's no principles being fought over here. The only thing being fought about is power and control. And that the Democrats have and the left and the progressive left have control of the federal institutions and they are using it to exact revenge on their opponents. Full stop. Well, I think the select committee hearing Thursday was somewhat interesting. I mean, you had Senator Ron Johnson, who, of course, has been mercilessly attacked by the media and the left. He actually said something about the J6ers, and he also talked about the attacks on him and the FBI's collusion, trying to make them, you know, his meeting with Charles, the FBI's. And trying to say that Ron, that that Senator Johnson and Grassley were getting using Russian propaganda because that's their their default is sure. it's Russian propaganda. So they were saying, well, Grassley and Johnson are just doing all this because they've been fed Russian propaganda and they believe it. That's <laughs> right. So that was interesting. You do have more FBI whistleblowers. You had some uh, retired agent talk yesterday. Um, We have more FBI whistleblowers coming forward. John Solomon had an excellent report this past week. Urge people to check that out at justthenews.com, 
where he talked with an FBI whistleblower who said how the Washington field office pressured Boston FBI field office to investigate 140 so people who traveled from Boston to D.C. on a bus. They had collected information from Bank of America without a warrant. Of course, this is not new. We know that Bank of America did that right away. So did other cell, pro- cell phone providers, hotels, et cetera. Airlines, I believe, turned over records as well. Um, and then cross-referenced that, Liz, with recent gun purchases. Yeah, but see, Julie, now I have to t- I have to say this. How did they, how would they have that information? There is not a gun registry. So how would they know that? They would have to get that information from your your bank cards or your right. bank account. People buy guns in cash. Right. I'm sorry. Did I say that in my out loud voice? I didn't mean to. <clears throat> but but We're yeah, so back to your point that that the FBI, at least the field office and FBI, like refused in Boston, refu- refused to go along with that because there was no basis to get that information. I mean, you there there's supposed to be some sort of predicate when the FBI starts doing things like that. They can't just for shits and giggles start fishing around. But we know that we know that that is what they've been doing, right? And so yes. kudos to the Boston field office for not listening to and of Important to remember who was in charge of the Washington field office at this time, Stephen D'Antuano, who was promoted from the Detroit, Michigan field office in October of 2020 after successfully pulling off the Whitmer Fednapping hoax promoted by Christopher Wray to take over the most powerful FBI field office in the country, Washington, D.C., also a launching pad to become FBI director. And his office, this was pressure coming out of his office to pressure Boston you have to assume that this was this going on at really all 56 field offices um, to investigate people, again, exercising their First Amendment rights. Not There's no proof those people were even at the Capitol. They just went to D.C. Um, but what, of course, was interesting to me, Liz, was uh, Washington field office skirting or refusing to turn over, produce surveillance video that the Boston investigators were asking for to say, okay, well, let's see if these people actually committed a crime. Give us the the video to show us. And they refused to turn that over because it could have exposed federal assets, i.e. undercover or informants who were in that crowd that they did not want their identities revealed. Because, of course, a lot of FBI field offices know who these professional informants are. So you could have had a case where Boston would see it or someone else and be like, hey, there's Joe Blow. He's an informant. What's he doing there? Yeah. Well, and again, we know that we know that there were federal informants in these groups. And I think Christopher Ray refused to say either way. Um, He wouldn't say there weren't when he was asked under oath, which sort of leads us to ask if you had a bunch of federal informants and all of these uh, insurrection groups why didn't you stop it? Why couldn't it be stopped? Why didn't you have more, uh, you know, protection for the Capitol if you knew that this uh, overthrow or, in, you know, attack was going to take place? We really don't have an answer to that question. Well, let's see if Republicans will do what they promise. I thought the first meeting was hearing was OK. Um, let's hope that they build from there because uh there's there's a lot to expose. And obviously they can't send criminal referrals to a DOJ who will do nothing with it. But public accountability and building a case that, you know, perhaps at one point could be prosecuted is what they need to be doing. Let's hope. Um, wow. Well, we're at an hour, Julie. That went by really fast. Um, you know, after what, three weeks of no. It was two weeks. I think it was just two yeah. weeks. Okay. Don't say, don't say. Thanks again for your apology. You're, <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for listening to happy hour this week. We'll be, we'll be back next week. Right, Julie? Yes, we will. We will. 
So have a fabulous weekend or well, this will probably come out tomorrow, which is Saturday. So when you're kicking back and drinking some beers in good old America, thanks for listening. Right, Julie, what you're going to say? Yeah, ready for the Super Bowl pre-gaming. Oh, that's right. I don't watch that. Fuck the NFL. Um, (laughs) Except I love the Patriots. So um, I'm not going to be watching the Super Bowl. That's a good time to go to Costco. I forgot. It's a good time to go shopping when the Super Bowl is on to go to like Costco or Home Depot. Um, so everybody enjoy the Super Bowl if that's what you're what's what you're going to do this weekend. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.